Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, it is the countdown to hope. Uh, Easter is just a couple of weeks away. And I... uh, want to continue where we began last week in this series. What is the hope of Easter? And uh, why do we find that kind of hope in the midst of the most painful and difficult circumstances? How do we find that hope? You know, hope is sometimes uh, described as the opposite of despair. That hope is the opposite of despair. And every single one of us would be painfully aware that life can be filled with disappointments, that life can be filled with struggle, that life can be extremely difficult. And as Christians, we've got to know that we are not exempt from the trials of life. If you feel that as a Christian, uh, you shouldn't face any problems or any heartaches or any difficulties then I would challenge you that your personal theology is not biblical. Uh, James writes these words in James 1 and 2. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So James talks about it in the context of joy, which is a whole other series in and of itself. But he promises that as Christians, we will face trials, not just trials, but trials of many kinds. So we get a variety as well, which is not terribly encouraging. In verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I would say... It is not being exempt from the trials of life that define who we are as God's people, but rather it is how we respond to those trials. That's the evidence of our faith, how we hold ourselves, how we carry ourselves, where we put our faith and our trust in those times of difficulty. That's what shows if our faith is the real thing or not. Can I hear an amen? So I'm going to read a passage this morning from Romans chapter 8. And as Paul writes this, he wants us to make sure that our faith in God actually changes the way we respond to our circumstances. That our faith in God actually makes a difference in the way that we live our lives. That no matter how difficult or even how desperate our situation might seem at times, Paul encourages us that we can face all of that with a measure of hope. Romans 8 and 18. And he says, Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope... The creation looks forward to the day where it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. 
For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, then we must wait patiently and confidently. I love that passage of Scripture. There's so much in that. It is so rich. And one of the greatest benefits that we have of a daily relationship with God, of walking closely with Him, is the assurance of a future hope, no matter what this life might bring. Friends, I love the fact that the hope that we might find in God is actually the greatest antidote for the society in which we live. It is the perfect antidote for all that is going on in the world around us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, it is that wonderful assurance and even that joy that James talks about of that future hope. All you got to do is spend five minutes watching the news or on social media to realize very, very quickly that the world struggles with hopelessness. All you got to do is strike up a conversation with somebody in the supermarket or at the hairdressers or down the street, and very, very quickly they will begin to express some of their fears and a sense of despair and hopelessness. That's the way it is for many people. You just got to listen to any podcasts or uh, any news items and you will hear very quickly so many people that have so much cynicism towards the world and towards others. And they seem to think that the world is getting worse. In part, they're right. And as our world seems to bounce from crisis to crisis, from conflict to conflict, people are getting increasingly anxious increasingly cynical, increasingly fearful, and increasingly discouraged. And every single one of us, every single one of us, we have personal struggles and personal heartaches and personal frustrations, things that make us fearful, things that cause us to be anxious. And it's like we kind of got to manage that and walk through that with all of this background noise of global crisis and conflict. Interestingly, when the Apostle Paul writes about this stuff, he is actually well qualified to write about it. He is so well uh, acquainted with the kinds of struggles and pains and, uh, and difficulties and struggles that we all face in life. In fact, probably more than most of us. Uh, I'll give you a snapshot of that from 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. 
where he says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food and I've been cold and naked. Uh, And that's probably just a few things. So Paul doesn't write from the perspective of kind of being a religious nut that is so far out of touch with reality. He is so in touch with reality, which makes his words even more powerful. And when he speaks about the challenges of life, he doesn't in any way try to make light of those struggles that we go through. But what he wants us to do and what he wants to help us do is to put those struggles in perspective. Look again at what he says in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And Paul wants to constantly draw us back to an eternal perspective and friends to find and discover true hope in the world today. As we looked at last week, we've got to have an eternal perspective. We've got to know that God has purposed eternity for us. This this moment that we have in this life on this earth is just a blink. It is just a dot on the timeline of eternity. And God has purposed every one of us for eternal life. One of my favorite quotes, and you'll get me get sick of me hearing uh, get sick of hearing me say it, but it's a great quote. And it says, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. And that is the perspective that we need to grab of ourselves because it is the perspective with which God views us. And what Paul wants to make sure of is that we don't get so discouraged with the difficulties of this life that we lose sight of the bigger picture of eternity. He says, don't forget there will be a time that is coming when there won't be any more struggles. There won't be any more pain. There won't be any more death. There'll be no more tears. That for those who are in Christ, there will be a place and a time of perfect joy and happiness and completeness. In fact, look at what Paul says in the very next verse, verse 19. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. We got to know that the world in which we live right now, the world is less than perfect. Now, I'm not much into physics, but I read something this week that prompted me to spend way too much time Googling stuff. Because I read, uh, I just happened on something, and I, I read about the second law of thermodynamics. Woo. Uh, and forgive me if we've got any scientists in the room, I'm going to, what I say next is going to sound so ignorant. But the second law of thermodynamics 
says that the entropy of any isolated system always increases. Isolated systems spontaneously evolve towards thermal equilibrium. The state of maximum entropy of the system, more simply put, the entropy of the universe, the ultimate isolated system, only increases and never decreases. Amen. Let's go home. Um, simply put, the universe is decay. Let me give you some of the simplest examples that I found. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics. So when, it, when, it, when a car engine runs, it gets hot. The moment you turn the engine off, it begins to cool. And without restarting the motor, it will never revert to that heated state. It will cool. A couple of other very, very simple examples. Um, you can't unscramble an egg. Once the egg is scrambled, it's, you can't, it can't revert back to its original form. You can't unmelt an ice cube. Uh, a very painful one for all of us, no matter how much money you spend on cosmetic surgery, you cannot unage your body. And even when they do spend a lot of money on cosmetic, cosmetic surgery, you go, why did you bother? That's just really scary. Anyway... Now, the Britannica Encyclopedia says this, the second law of thermodynamics states that in a closed system, no process will tend to occur that increase the net organisation or decrease the net entropy of the system. Thus, the universe taken as a whole is steadily moving toward a state of complete randomness. Wow. But here's the thing. Paul, when he writes, is way ahead of the game because... When he writes these words in Romans, the second law of thermodynamics, I struggle over it every time I try to say it. The second law of thermodynamics wasn't even beginning to be a thing. And yet he writes this in verse 21, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Or to paraphrase, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the second law of thermodynamics. <laughs> because the truth is that everything on earth is subject to the second law of thermodynamics. Every living thing will eventually die and decay. It includes me and it includes you. The second law of thermodynamics doesn't offer anything, any hope at all for anything on the earth. The whole of creation is subject to death and decay. And when you confront that truth, it is really, really sobering. And I've got to say, I'm amazed and saddened by those who believe in reincarnation. Because fundamentally, it is a flawed belief. Flawed for the fact that it is this process of rebirth and regeneration, being reborn, but you're being constantly reborn into a world that is decaying. And I got thinking about it this week and I wonder if maybe that's one of the reasons that so many of the precepts of Buddhism are focused on living in harmony with creation. 
uh, being so, so very, very environmentally conscious, which is all great. But I don't wonder if part of it is not a vain hope to try and uh, work against the second law of thermodynamics, that the rebirth will somehow be into a world that has somehow arrested this law of decay. Anyway, I was musing about that today. I mean, this week. Uh, there was a, um, uh, a philosopher called Bertrand Russell who lived about 100 years ago. And uh, he was a, a staunch atheist. He even wrote a book called Why I'm Not a Christian. Uh, and late in his life, he was interviewed on the BBC on a radio talk program uh, at 81 the interviewer asked him, he said, at this point in your life, where obviously you're at the latter stages of your life, what hope do you hang on to? And he gave this response, which was very, very sobering, very honest, because his response was this, I have nothing to hang on to but grim, unyielding despair. That's pretty raw, isn't it? Because the truth is when you live only for this life, when you invest all that you are and all that you have in the here and now, when you think that this is all there is, there will come a day where you end up in that place of great despair. But for those of us who are secure in a relationship with God through Christ Jesus, there is hope because we anticipate a day and a time when death and decay will no longer exist. In verse 22, he says, For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I love the fact that it talks about groaning here. And it's interesting, we've all been around people who have let out a groan as the result of physical pain. Uh, and in fact, in its extreme, there's nothing worse than hearing somebody groan in pain, particularly when it's your own kids. But all around us, I think there are the groans of people that we don't hear because they're groaning internally. And I wonder how, how aware of those people we are. It's not an audible groan, but there is something within them that groans. It's a deep longing for something more a longing for something different, a longing for, for some measure of hope. And I think the picture that Paul paints is that there is a groan that happens within us when you become aware of the way things are and realise the way things are are not the way that they should be. And I think we've all been there. And increasingly so today when we jump on social media or when we spend way too much time listening to the news, 
I, I don't think there's a day goes by when I don't groan about something that I've read. And the groaning again is the awareness that what currently is, is not how it should be. But really interestingly, as you dig into Paul's writing here, I think he would suggest that that groaning is also a sign of our hope. We groan because we long for something better. And if we are in Christ, we have the promise of something better. So as we groan, we remember this is not how it is, but it's also not the way that it's going to stay. That there is a future hope, there is a future glory, there is a future perfection. And friends, that hope in regards to our future should actually impact the way that we live. It should impact the way that we view the world in which we live. And again, Paul reminds us that we need to hold an eternal perspective on life. That if we are in Jesus, we have an inbuilt assurance of eternal life. Which means for the Christian, there is no such thing as an utterly hopeless situation. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how deep the struggle, it is not without hope. Verse 24, he says, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. Paul actually expands a little bit on this when he writes to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And we've got to fully understand what Paul is saying here. Because he's not saying that we should deny the reality of pain and trouble in this world because, you know, it's not real. That's not what he's trying to say at all. The world does hurt. The world is frustrated. The world is painful. And we shouldn't deny that pain. But can I encourage you this morning, we should not allow the apparent hopelessness of this moment in history in which we live to lead us to a place of despair. We've got to guard against that. Because for the person who has trusted God with their whole life, there's always, always, always a reason for hope. As James said, to find joy even in the midst of the greatest trial. But let me also encourage you this morning that this hope is not just a future hope. It's not just a hope for what is to come. It's also a hope for how we live our lives right now. Because if we live with that eternal perspective, I'm not a 
human being having a spiritual experience, I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. If we live with that eternal perspective, it's got to impact how we go about living our lives on a daily basis. And that's a really big question. If you are a, if you are a Christian, does the hope of eternal life, does an eternal perspective actually make a difference to the way that you're living your life right now? I pray that it is. I pray that we live so differently to those who have not yet heard that truth. I pray that as Paul encourages us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I pray that we would be doing just that. That the hope we have in Jesus makes a difference right now. Or are we distracted? 21st century Australia, the lives that we live right now, mean that we are living in unprecedented prosperity. And so many people have bought into the lie that if you just accumulate enough stuff, you will find fulfillment in life. That stuff might be material possessions and a few nice toys. It might be power, prestige. It might be certain relationships. But when you do get that stuff, suddenly you realise it might be nice, but it actually doesn't bring any measure of that deep inner fulfilment. Fulfilment doesn't come from stuff. There's another great quote that says, Never in history have so many had so much for so long and been so depressed about it. It's true. But if we adopt, adopt an eternal perspective, if we live every day with an eternal assurance, stuff loses its significance. Writer of Ecclesiastes says in Ecclesiastes 2 and 26, To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. And it's just talking about this futility of living for stuff. There's also another benefit of living with an eternal perspective. And that is that our hope in God should actually change the way that we view the very trials and sufferings that we've been talking about a lot this morning. 2 Corinthians 1 and 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And here's one of the wonderful, wonderful things about being in the family of God. God actually redeems the painful things about life. He redeems the hurts. He redeems the struggles. He redeems all that negative stuff so that we might be a source of comfort and hope to others. And I think that is a statement that you can only make if you live with an eternal perspective. The statement, God redeems pain. You really can't make that statement outside of the perspective of eternity. God redeems pain. 
Friends, the good news is that in Jesus, we can live as we choose to follow him and to surrender to his lordship. We can live in a constant hope that the pain of this world will actually give way to the perfect reality that comes through an eternal perspective, the perfect reality of heaven. And the promise from God's word is that in time, Jesus will dry our tears. And friends, can I encourage you, the hope of God is so incredibly real. Those that have walked with God for any length of time could share with you story after story after story of the reality of the hope of God. If you're far from that hope this morning, our prayer for you is that you would take a step of faith towards God to begin to find that hope in your life, to make it real for you. And that hope gives us the ability right now to turn our eyes away from our own pain and to turn our eyes to God's glory. God's glory which eclipses any pain or struggle that you might be facing right now. Because one day we will all be together, those who are in Christ. We will all be together in a place where there is no pain, no tears, no suffering, no disease, no death. And the second law of thermodynamics is done with. So as the team comes back, let's finish where we started. And I'll read again from Romans 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the future glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from the second law of thermodynamics. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the good news for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is hope. Every head bow, every eye closed right now. And Father, I just thank you for this moment. We thank you for that promise of hope. We thank you so much, God, that in you there is a hope. And we, we live in a world today where there is so much despair, so much anxiety. And Father, we choose to live counterculturally. We choose to live with hope in you that transforms the way that we respond to what's going on in our world today that we don't add to the hopelessness, but we live confidently in the knowledge of your hope. Yes, it's a hope that is to come, the ultimate fulfilment of that, but it's a hope that we live with now. 
that says, I can find confidence to face the day. I can find confidence to move through this week, no matter what life brings. That that hope brings a source of strength. That hope brings a reassurance. And that hope is the antidote to despair and anxiety and worry. Father, make this real for us, I pray, as your people. That we would live every moment of every day with that eternal perspective. That this this experience on this planet in this moment is an absolute blink on that scale of eternity. Father, by your Holy Spirit, just give us that assurance. Just give us that lens to view life with. I'm a spiritual being. And this is just a human experience. And Father, maybe for somebody here today, they've not yet had that opportunity to cross that line of faith and to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you. I confess my need for you. And Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before man, I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And today, I just want to give you the opportunity to cross that line of faith that this hope would be real for you. That you would discover a new hope, a new perspective. That it gives you the confidence to know that no matter what this life brings, I'm in right relationship with God. And I have that assurance of eternal life with Him. And all you've got to do, the Bible says, is to, conf- to call upon the name of Jesus. And to repent, and that simply means to turn around, to change your mind, to move from a self-ruled life to a life where you say, Hey God, I recognize I'm your child. You've created me for a purpose and I give you free reign in my life. That you would say, Jesus, show me how to live for you. By your Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our life, that you begin to transform me from the inside out. So if you're ready to take a step of faith this morning while every head is bowed, while every eye is closed, I give you that opportunity just to confess. Would you raise your hand this morning? I'll acknowledge it and you can put it straight back down again and then I'll pray for you. Is there one here this morning? You're just saying, God, you've spoken to my heart this morning and I want to understand the fullness of that hope that is in you. Is there one here this morning? Well, Father, you know, you know every heart in this room. And Father, we're all on a journey this morning. And Father, I, I pray that if there are some here this morning that aren't yet in that place of understanding your eternal hope, that God, you wouldn't leave them alone. I just pray, God, that you would just be pursuing them because you do. It's the reason they're in this room this morning. And I pray, Lord God, that you would make yourself so real to each and every person here. That you would make that hope so real. And for all of us, we just, we just commit again to living well for you. We commit again to living with that eternal perspective. Not being distracted by the things of this world that 
so often take priority. But that we would live well and confidently and joyfully navigating the challenges of the world around us because we live with your hope now and that future hope that is before us. And I pray that we would shine the light of Jesus well. Father, by your Holy Spirit, may our ears be attuned to those groans that we don't hear. People around us who are just groaning because they're longing for something more. May we represent the hope of Jesus to them in word and in action. May we leave this place this morning on mission for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.